what, what would be nicer than all of us kind of be involved in the message? So I'm going to try my best to record a message with all of you guys in it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And at the count of three, I'm going to ask you all just to say, Happy Birthday, Pastor Brian. All right, shall we try that? After three. One, two, three. Happy, Happy Birthday, birthday Pa. Amen. Okay, now you've got your part. Let me try and remember my part. Okay. All right, you guys ready? Hey, hi, Pastor Brian. We are Ecclesia Church, the church that was planted out of the church that you planted originally in Westminster. And we just want to wish you a happy birthday. And it's funny because we really miss you in London. But London isn't the same because you came. And we just want to say happy birthday. You guys going to help me after three? One, two, three. Hey, wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Oh, no. You know those times when you don't hit the record button? I'm only, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Praise the Lord. Well, welcome, everybody. We are in the second week of a Christmas series that we're doing called The One True Story. <clears throat> and this one true story fundamentally it's a book that you can get, it's paperback, or you can get it online. And I'd recommend, if you haven't got one, and you want to join with us, because as a church, we've been reading through this book, beginning in December. There are like 24 chapters, and each one of those chapters, we've taken a day to have a look at devotionally. But also what we've done is, ah, Farida! What we've also done is we've decided to, um, to take just selected chapters and speak about them on a Sunday that is on the four Sundays running up to Christmas. So, hey, welcome to week two. And um, our message today is from, is that me? Oh, no, it's not me. A message today is called East of Eden. East of Eden. It might sound like a bit of a strange title. I mean, if you know, we live in a world, right, of box sets. It's like, there are box sets on top of box sets, and there's season one, two, three, four. And pretty much there's stories that point to kind of one big story, or it's kind of one story with lots of little stories that make up the big story, right? Well, this book, The One True Story, is similar in that sense because it's made up of lots of small stories, particularly about Jesus, but from maybe angles that we wouldn't look at the Christmas story from. Um, Pastor... He helped us last week talking about the dragon slayer and, um, and pointing to the fact that this was the Lord Jesus. And he had a picture of like, like, like a guy slaying a, like a dragon slayer and a big dragon. He said, imagine that on the front of a, of, of a Christmas card. A bit unusual, but it actually is one of the beautiful ways we see the Christmas story depicted in another particular portion of the Bible. So East of Eden is our second message, and it's in Matthew chapter 2. Look, two verses. I know some of you are like, oh, two verses, Pastor Rob. Hallelujah. Look, see, there we go. <laughs> two verses, but um, I'm going to give you a bit of backstory, and I'm hoping that it's going to be maybe 10, 15 minutes backstory, and then five to 10 minutes of the main kind of thrust of the message. And so if you have um, a Bible or an electronic device you want to turn to Matthew 2, that would really help me. Um, because I'm going to ask you to have a look at the text from time to time. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. As you're turning, I'm going to pray. So hopefully by the time I get to the end, we can read it together. Father, thank you um, just for the wonderful blessing it is to meet together today in this fashion. Father, thank you for the incredible Christmas story. It's the one true story, lots of little stories that point to that major story as we look at the, the, the length and the breadth of the Bible, the scriptures. And we're so grateful, Father, for um, the fact that you have cataloged and categorized and, and contextualized, Lord, this incredible story. Um, imagine two years, 2,000 years ago, um, we see Jesus come on the scene, but predicted 4,000 years prior to that. And all of history points to him. And we get a chance every year to celebrate this. How wonderful is that? And we praise you, Lord, and ask that you would allow just today to be a great blessing and contribute, Lord, to our understanding of who Jesus actually is. And it's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. 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 So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. 
It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came, or should I say wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Funny. This incredible story, <clears throat> it doesn't actually start in um, Bethlehem in Matthew 2. This story actually starts in Eden, way back at the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis. With the, the mother and the father of the whole human race. How many of you know there's only one race? We were talking about this last week, and it passed the E. There's only one race, and it's the human race. And we have these two first people from whom all different ethnicities and cultures and colors come from. Wonderfully displayed even today with the Grimwade family. Amen? Beautiful. I love it. And I thank God for it. Celebrating different cultures, especially in a time, at a time when, how many of you know, there's drama between cultures. In Matthew 24, it talks about that happening in the last days. Nation rising against nation. The word is actually ethnic group rising against ethnic group. Because it's not just a black and white thing. You've got black people fighting black people and white people fighting white people. Just look at Bosnia and the Serbs back in the day and then also um, Sierra Leone with the Tutsis and the Hutus. Rwanda, thank you for the correction. Amen. Um, but you've got Adam and Eve, right? The beginning of mankind as we know it, working together with God in the garden in order to fulfill and further his purposes, right? If you like, they are God's people. I mean, at the time, it's only two of them, but they are God's people. And God's people is a term that identifies those that are gathered for his glory. I mean, you might have come today and seen it up on the on, on, on the overheads, the word ecclesia, that's the name of our church. And it's actually the Greek word for the word church. Ecclesia. How many of you know the church is, if I say to you, where's the church? You say to me, oh yeah, go down the road, turn left, and it's on the corner. That, how many of you know that's not the church? <laughs> that's not the church. The church of the people. The people of the church. You know what I'm saying? And uh, hopefully I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So, God's people gathered, but sadly... Although it started off really well, how many of you know, within a short space of time, Adam and Eve are actually rejected. They're, they're ejected out of God's place. They're ejected out of the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, um, we read from verse 23 to 24, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him, that is Adam, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, and he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned everywhere to guard the way to the tree of life. Can you see whereabouts this cherubim is placed? At the east of the Garden of Eden, because that's where man, that is Adam and Eve, were ejected from and begin to move in that direction. I want you to remember that east of the Garden of Eden. It's been suggested that, <clears throat> that Eden was a temple of sorts. A temple, obviously, is a place um, where people kind of go to worship. Um, and it's suggested that, 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 that Eden was a type of temple where God's people, Adam and Eve, were gathered in order to worship him, in order to relate to him. How many of you know the Bible says that Adam walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, in the cool of the, of the day? And so this temple-type environment, they get kicked out of. 1 Corinthians 3 says, which I find very interesting, we, that is the church, are what? All right, you look too long to answer. We, the church, are God's field. We are God's garden, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
And the idea of cultivating and farming, planting and growing, sowing and reaping. Remember, one sows, another reaps, but God is the one who gives the increase. That's all 1 Corinthians 3 type language that's very similar to what we see happening in the garden. Being fruitful is the language of the contents and uh, the language of the context. And if you like going back to the first garden in Eden, the language is similar. Remember, God says to them, be fruitful and multiply. John 15, Jesus says, I would that you would bear fruit. Much fruit, fruit that would remain. You see the similarity? Now, <clears throat> furthermore, God's people are referred to as the church, as I mentioned earlier. The assembly, not just in the New Testament, but also over in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 7... Um, we have Stephen, and it's an incredible message that he preaches, like the whole of Acts chapter 7. I say incredible message. He ended up getting stoned for this message, but verse 37 and 38 says, This is that Moses, as we jump in halfway into his message, this is that Moses who said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall God raise up unto you from among your brethren, just like me. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness. See, often we think about the word church and we think, okay, the church is a New Testament concept. Um, maybe that word, C-H-U-R-C-H, especially in English, but the original Greek word, you know what I'm saying, it means a, a, a gathered group of people. And how many of you know God's people have been gathering from time immemorial? As I mentioned, right, from, right there back in the garden. And if you like, from the garden, as they move out eastward, Whilst they journeyed, remember, in the wilderness, we see this temple language that I just described in, in Eden to some degree. We see that same thing utilized in the tabernacle, if you remember. The tabernacle. Another, does anybody know another, another term for the tabernacle? Begins with T. It's three words. Tent of meeting. Thank you, bruv. The tabernacle was the tent of meeting. Well, meeting who? Meeting God. And this is where God's people came together to meet with God, the tabernacle. And <clears throat> it's funny because the tabernacle was a collapsible tent. Remember, they're journeying through, they're journeying through the wilderness. So they'd, they'd, they'd follow the cloud by day, a fire by night, and it would stop. And when it stopped, they'd construct this tent. And the tent, they'd worship. And then the cloud would move, and then they'd strip it down, and they'd move, move on. Throughout the wilderness wanderings, this is what they did. And the, the tabernacle was made like a tent of kind of animal skins and kind of different types of cloth and material. On the material was embroidered trees. The priests wore pomegranates on the skirts of their garments. Also on the, embroidered on the, on the, on the, on the, on the material within the the tabernacle were animals. Sound a bit like the garden? Trees? <laughs> Trees, oh my gosh. Tree is what we got in trouble through, right? Animals, Adam naming the animals. And all of this, this symbolism is found in the tabernacle. Interesting. Why? Because the tabernacle was a type of temple, similar to Eden. And not only do you have um, these, these trees and these animals, and you, you, have, you have cherubim. And it's funny because you also have this issue of sacrifice. Just like you did in Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says God covered them with animal skins. But where did he get the skins from, for the, anim from the animal unless the animal was, was slaughtered? And you've got this picture of sacrifice in the tabernacle and obviously, you have God meeting with his people. It's really interesting. But then we see another progression from the tabernacle to another place of meeting in Israel's history. Whereabouts? What do we find next? Where do, where, where do God's people begin to meet with when they come into the land, the promised land? They begin to meet in the temple. And it wouldn't be a surprise when I tell you that inside the temple, not on cloth because it's, it's brick built now, right? 
on the walls are engraved angels and trees and fruit and animals. And then covering the Ark of the Covenant, a cherubim, in a kind of like a protective manner. It's like, oh my goodness, it sounds like, sounds like the, the cherubim protecting the garden as Adam and Eve rejected and moved eastward. You see this, the symbolism and this, 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 the similarities. And also in the temple, I mean, oh my gosh, the whole sacrificial system is really ramped up, especially under Solomon when he constructs the temple, right? Sin and sacrifice and God again meeting with his people. So over time, God's people, they grow from a small group in Eden to a large group now in Canaan. God's people meeting in God's place. But <clears throat> when you chart the storyline of the Bible, as it relates to God's meeting places, there's a problem. There's a problem. So we know that there was a problem in Eden, that quote-unquote type temple environment. And then you move on to Solomon's temple, which is, sorry, move to the tabernacle, right, which is the first construction that you can see on the left-hand side. And that was about 1250 BC. Moving on, then you have um, Solomon's temple, which is constructed. But guess what happens to Solomon's temple? When the, when, when the children of Israel go into Babylonian exile, the temple gets destroyed. So, there's a problem. You got, let me build it up in a minute. Then, the children of Israel come out of exile, right? You can see the Babylonian exile is that big gray area on, on the timeline. The children of Israel go into Babylonian exile, having had their temple destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and looted. Then Cyrus, a new king, the king of the Medo-Persians who conquered the Babylonians, right, historically speaking, he sends forth a, degree, a decree that says the children of Israel can go back into their land and rebuild their temple. So the temple gets rebuilt under Zerubbabel. But the temple's rebuilt and you've got some people that are cheering, oh man, this is amazing, it's wonderful, 70 years we've been out of the land, but we're back and it's great and here's the temple. And then at the same time, you've got some people that are weeping and wailing. Why? Because they look at the temple and they say, huh, this is nothing like this, the temple that Solomon had made. Because Solomon's temple, Solomon, the Bible says that Solomon, he was so rich, he made silver as common as stones. Imagine not picking up silver because, ah, there's so much of it. Oh, it's like stones. <laughs> so the temple reflected that. So, up the, so those who are looking at this new temple like, this ain't nothing on the old temple. But then, a little later on, obviously we have the intertestamental period, 200, 300 years or so, where there are no prophets after Malachi. Then here comes um, John the Baptist, right? And there's, <clears throat> um, an, uh, there's a king whose name is Herod, who has that same temple, Zerubbabel's temple, kind of um, beefed up. And in the top right-hand corner, what you can see is the additions that he makes to make the temple even better now. <sighs> And then you can see Jesus right there at the end um, coming at that, at that particular point just after John the Baptist declares him. And what is funny is what then happens to the temple, Herod's temple, in 70 AD? Anybody know? The temple gets destroyed. Now, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say, look, when you... When you look at the picture of God's place and God meeting with his people in Eden, it's wonderful, it's great, then, uh-oh, it gets frustrated. And here's the tabernacle, and it's wonderful, and God is meeting with his people, then the tabernacle, like, where is it? You know what I'm saying? Where are the implements? Where are the, where, where's, the, where's, the, where's even the Ark of the Covenant? Again, at least when we get to the temple. So things are frustrated. They move into a temple, and it's like, wow, this amazing temple is great, and it's glorious, and then... Here comes the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar, and he destroys the temple, takes all the gold. And then they try to rebuild the temple again, and they rebuild the temple, and it, and it looks kind of great, but it's not really that great. It gets, it gets beefed up by Herod, and then in 70 AD, the temple gets leveled. Jesus says, not one, you want, not one stone will be left on top of another. I wonder if I'm um, making my point. See... 
Did you know that there are actually those today who are focusing again on trying to construct another temple? Focusing on a physical brick built temple. Now, you, you can understand to some degree why. I mean, right now in Israel, they have all the garments for all the priests. They have the snuff boxes. They have all the instruments that to, to, the, for, the, for the, the musicians to play. They have, they have the, the massive laver. They have, they have all of the implements, apart from the Ark of the Covenant, ready for this new building. They've, they've actually tried taking up on a big, long 18-wheeler different implements to the Temple Mount, but they can't because the Temple Mount is a Temple Mount. It's the second most holy place in Islam. So there's a problem. They can't rebuild the Temple because... The Dome of the Rock is there. But, but trying to rebuild it. And then you've got a lot of other people, like even Christians who are looking and saying the temple is going to be rebuilt. We've got, to, we've got to get behind the rebuilding of the temple. See, what are we to learn from this? Let, I, my suggestion would be let's not build any more temples. I mean, just look at the pattern, right? What I would say is the temple has been replaced. That is the physical temple with another type of temple. And what type of temple is this? Well, first of all, it's Jesus, and I'm going to show you. And then the second thing is us. That is the people or the church. John chapter 2. Listen to this. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us? Now, this is when Jesus went in the temple, was kicking over tables and chairs, right? And, 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 and whipping the animals out. I don't think he whipped any people. He whipped the animals out, right? So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Like, how dare you? You know what I'm saying? What gives you the authority? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. <laughs> the Jews said, this guy, he's definitely lost his mind. It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he, wasn't, he, he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus wasn't talking about the brick building. He was talking about himself. Can you see that? Now, it's funny because in Genesis 28, just to add to that, remember the temple is the place where we meet with God. The temple is the meeting place. Listen to Genesis 28. And it says, And he dreamed, um, thinking, speaking of Jacob, he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You've got this ladder where the angels are coming down. And if you like, that ladder connects heaven to earth. Can you see that? Now, what's crazy is, I, think, I remember I preached a message on this, and I think I called it God's escalator or something, like bringing it up to date. Like we, we, do, we do use ladders, but we also use escalators. And I thought escalators was a beautiful picture of traveling up to heaven and coming back down for the angels, that is, right? Now, listen to John 1, and he says, And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see, this is Jesus speaking, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on who? Oh, wait a minute. Now, how does this make sense apart from understanding that Jesus is the new place to meet with God? Because remember when Jacob woke up, he was like, oh my gosh, surely the Lord was in this place. He met with God, he wrestled with God, didn't he? You know what I'm saying? At the bottom of this quote-unquote ladder, Jacob's ladder. But now Jesus speaks about that and uses himself as the point at which hev heaven meets earth and the connection between the two is him. You want to meet with God? I mean, you can go to a you can go to a basilica. You can go to a cathedral. You know what I'm saying? You can go to you can go to Rome itself, to St. Peter's. Oh my gosh, and walk up the stairs on your knees until they bleed. You know what I'm saying? Does that mean you're going to meet with God? Not today it doesn't. You want to meet with God, the only place and it's beautiful because you don't have to travel anywhere. <laughs> if you want to meet with God, you can meet with Jesus right where you are. It could even happen to you today. Jesus. And it's funny because <clears throat> John chapter 1. Remember I said that 
Jesus is the temple, the new temple. Let's not look for a brick-built building. But yet we should be looking for a brick-built building, metaphorically speaking. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. I said Jesus and the church, right? Oh, my goodness. 1 Peter 2 says, as you come to him, oh, a stone. But notice it's not a literal stone. It's a living stone rejected by men. But in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Who's that speaking of? That's speaking about Jesus, who's the chief cornerstone in the building of God. He's the chief cornerstone. Obviously, he's special. He's he's a stone that's unique and unusual to every other stone. Verse 5. But then he says, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can you see that that is a picture of the church? That is a picture of God's place where people meet with God. And you see the same, you see the same um, language, priesthood, sacrifices. It's a spiritual house, it's a temple. Can you see that? It's the place where men and women... Meet with God, commune with God. You've been invited today, if you're a visitor, to meet along with us, with God. Now back to Genesis real quick. So you have a group that are multiplying and growing, this nation of of Israel, right? Or should I say God's people, because it changes. Um... But it's not the image and likeness of God that's being propagated. You've got Adam and Eve, and they drop the ball. And Adam and Eve have a son called Cain. And what is interesting about Cain in Genesis 4, apart from where he got his wife from, I can't talk about that now. If you want to have a chat, I'm happy to talk to you about where Cain got, where Cain got his wife from. But listen to Genesis 4 in light of our title, the title of our message. It says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod where? What is this business about east of Eden? Now we know that Cain had issues, right? So him moving to, the, to, 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 to east of Eden isn't necessarily a great thing, just like it wasn't a great thing when Adam and Eve came out the garden and went eastward, right? Later on in the same chapter, in chapter 4, you've got this guy called Lamech. And Lamech is Cain's great-great-great-great-grandson. And Lamech is the first gangster rapper in the Bible. I'm not even joking. He does this a cappella in, in, in Genesis chapter 4. And it's classic because he comes out, right? And he's talking about how great he is, how bad he is. And he says, look, Cain, it's like Cain slew his brother. But that's nothing. He says, if somebody just looks at me the wrong way, I will take them out. You know what I'm saying? Like, you cut me up on a road, I break your knees. He, like, his, his, his song, this is, this is his lyrics. These are his bars. He's like, he says, some, somebody does something like minor to him, he's going to do something major to them. That's what he's basically saying. And he's got all these groupies, all these, I was going to say naked women. It's not naked. He's got these women around him, and he does. You read the text. It's actually his wives, but, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's, got, he's surrounded by women, and he's rapping, because it's poetry. It's, have I pushed that too far? No. You read the text, honestly. Nothing I've said is an elaboration. It's all true. He's, and he's boastful like a rapper, like some rappers are. Thank God for humble, be humble rappers. Amen. More hum, we need more humble rappers. But this guy, Lamech, he's worse than Cain. And if you like, things are not getting better. Things are actually getting the trajectory. Things are getting worse by chapter 4. By chapter 5, oh my gosh. In chapter 5 of Genesis, what's the topic in chapter 5? Anybody know? It's, the, it's genealogies. Thank you, Missy. But what you see consistently mentioned through the whole chapter, with like completely unequivocally is the result of what God said would happen to man when he sinned, which was what? The day in which you eat the fruit, you shall surely die. You read through Genesis 5, it's all about death. Seth lived 105 years, 
and he died. Enoch lived 90 years and he died. Kenan and he died. Mahalel and he died. All it is is just death. Every single other verse is death, 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 death. And it's a bit like Romans 5. Romans 5, easy to remember. You've got Genesis 5, Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. There are those who said they don't believe the Bible to be true. That's something you can't, you can't, you can't. <laughs> who doesn't die? Well, that's true. And that's the rationale for death. It came through one man and every single individual after Adam was affected because we all come from Adam. My good friend and mentor, Christopher Ash, when I was at the Cornhill Training College, one of the things he says about this is the, de the, the denial of death is the devil's follow-up lie. And I'm saying, God says you, you eat the fruit and disobey me Eat all this other fruit you can eat. Enjoy yourself in the garden, but there's one tree you mustn't eat from. You know, let's not emphasize, oh, oh God's all these commands. You can't do this, you can't do that. Excuse me. All of the trees you can eat from, there's one tree you can't eat from. Where's the, where's the emphasis? I see the emphasis on grace. Anyway, don't eat from the fruit of that tree or you will surely die. And the devil comes and says, ah, no, you won't. Which one is proven to be true? See, Genesis 3 verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. And evidently that's the lie. And the, and, and the process of death did begin spiritually when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, literally when they both died physically. And it's something that we all have to consider because how I many of you know the statistics still say that 10 out of 10 die? And, and as I mentioned that things were getting worse, like look at, look, at, look at Adam and Eve, oh no, look at Cain, oh no, look at Lamech, oh no, look. Genesis 6, after Genesis 5, the Bible says that you know, God looks at the world and, and, and men's behavior, the only thing you see is men being evil continually. And I just understated it because I can't remember the exact reference. But it's only evil continually. It's like a double and a triple negative. And then what does God have to do on the back of that? That's when he brings the flood. That's how bad things got. And then after the flood, you think, oh, wow, fresh start. Oh, my gosh. Literally, as, as, as he gets off the boat, the ark, Noah gets drunk. <laughs> That's why I love the Bible, you know. You know what I mean? It's such a blessing. You think, Noah, God saved Noah. Noah must be really special. Noah ain't special. He's still a sinner just like everybody else, just like all of us. You know what I'm saying? It's God's grace why he, and mercy why he got spared. Comes off the boat and he's there drunk in his, in his tent. It's like you'd think, oh, things are going to be great now. You see, this, this, the, the, the infection was carried even on the ark onto the rest of mankind, which is it's a, it's a conundrum. You think, well, what's the, what was the point of bringing a flood? It's a conundrum and... One that I can't tackle that I'd love to and would normally try to. And, 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 and here we see the antithesis or the opposite of what God had originally determined. God had determined that humanity spread out and filled the whole earth, creating a diversity of cultures and ethnicities. Instead, at Babel in chapter 11, just after the flood, we see a group of, individual, a group of individualists. We see people with one language. Um, they're one people out to make a name for themselves. Right? That's Babel. I mean, we're only 11 chapters into the book. Genesis 11, verse 1 to 4. Listen to this. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Notice verse 2. As people moved where? Eastward. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Um, innovative, like new industry, right? Brick-built brick built houses and some things don't change, right? They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city 
with a tower that reaches to the heavens. There's so much in that. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Oh my gosh. But isn't that what God originally desired? You see that? And this is what happens as men and women begin to travel east of Eden. And God judges this group by scattering them and confusing their languages. And we see that reversed in Acts chapter 2, where we see loads of different people coming together with loads of different languages. And God gives them one language and everyone understands what they're saying. You see the reversal of Genesis 11 in Acts chapter 2, right? And God begins to accelerate his purpose in Genesis 11 by, by spreading people out and giving them these different languages. And they're all moving off into different places of the world, speaking all these different languages. It's called a table of nations. And God begins to accelerate now his purpose. How many of you know God is in control and he's sovereign? Even though men are trying to do their thing. You know what I mean? And, and again, we see, we, we see in, in Acts chapter 2 something similar where you've got the church... And Jesus says, you're going, to be, you're going to start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utmost parts of the world, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But what we see is the church huddled together in Jerusalem. It's like, this is the church of what's happening now, baby. Like 3,000 get saved, 5,000 get saved, and they're all huddled in Jerusalem. <laughs> so the Lord allows persecution to come. And the persecution, because <coughs> Stephen ends up scattering if everyone runs out of town now, which is what was supposed to happen in the first place. He said, this is so funny. And it's funny, since Acts chapter 2, what we see is this beauty of diversity. You know, I, I, I tend to use my family as an example. If you know me, um, you probably don't know. You know, sometimes you sit in a room like, okay, we're going to introduce ourselves because you know each other, but you don't really know each other. So my great-granddad, my great-granddad? Yeah, no, no, my granddad. My gosh, <laughs> I'm getting old. My granddad was in the British Army. And my, my great-granddad is a white Englishman from Cornwall. That's on my mum's side. On my dad's side, my dad is mixed heritage. His father is a white Irishman. Hence, my name Prendergast. You ever hear about Paddy Prendergast, the jockey trainer? <laughs> I'm mixed up, man. You know what I'm saying? And obviously, I've got African influences. And then I'm married to a woman who is half Gibraltar. Gibraltar is just off the coast of Spain, right? So she's half Spanish. And her dad, she's, he's, he's Anglo-Indian, was born in Chennai in southern India. I say it all the time. So how many of you know my kids are confused, right? In terms of like, who they are and where they're from. They're an eighth this, a quarter that. Oh, my gosh. But it's something to celebrate. You see the World Cup during my house? Like, in my house during the World Cup. It's amazing. Like, we, we can't lose because we, we pretty much support every team on the planet. You know what I mean? Apart from India. India ain't in the World Cup, right? And Jamaica, Jamaica ain't qualified for a few years. But food? Yo, if, you, if you've ever been to my house, like, food in my house? Yo. I never, listen, I never, I never ate Indian food until I met my wife. 26 years ago. It's when I met Helen, I got introduced to Indian food. And I'm still a bit funny because when I go Indian, I normally only eat chicken korma. Because I like chicken korma. But big up Farida, where you at? Oh, big up Palm. Is Palm not here? Oh. You know, I, surely culture is something to celebrate. You know what I mean? It's something for us to celebrate. Like, you know, that's why I said I loved, like, Tim and Ella. Oh, my gosh. Their family. Oh, my gosh. Like, Bennett and family, right? Like, the, the, the family they use in the Ikea adverts. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Beautiful. Incredible. Wonderful. Diversity. And the thing is, even as a church, we've been celebrating. It's, and it's, again, it's, like I said at the beginning, it's not just a color thing. Because we got Nigerians getting married to Ghanaians. We got, we, we, got, we, got Sierra Le we got Sierra Leoneans getting married to Jamaicans. I'm like, it's beautiful. Now, it's not without its drama. You know what I'm saying? Just like in the Caribbean, you know, you've got Caribbean islands that have drama with other islands. But, but, in the, but not in the, surely not in the church. 
You know what I'm saying? Because it's Christian, it's Christ first and our natural nationality second. But, and it's music and artistry and fashion and food, as I mentioned. Beautiful contrast to racism and division and discrimination. Now back to our initial verses and we're finished, right? Remember, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. I think I'll put it up on the screen for you, just in case you ain't got a Bible. It's what we read at the beginning was this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, this is stuff that we're all familiar with at Christmas, but notice, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You see how we can read over stuff in our Bible? Because when I put that up first, I wonder if you noticed it. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Historically, biblically, we see a movement away from God. Did you see that? Eastward. I hope I painted a good picture with reference to that. But here we see the opposite. From the east, instead of a moving away from God, can you see in which direction these are now going? Wise men. I like that. They're wise. They're not foolish. So they're not going eastward. They're moving the opposite direction, right? And possibly astrologers. <coughs> Hence, the whole thing about them following a star, right? And you'd be like, these are not initially the people that you and me would say, oh yeah, godly people. <laughs> we look at someone who kind of flexes in that ma- manner, you'd be like, oh, that's very ungodly. Hey, welcome to the Bible. It's got so many nuances that will catch you unawares. <coughs> it's a bit like the Good Samaritan story. or From the East, wise men. From the East, possibly, probably Gentiles and not Jews. So at the first Christmas, we see Gentile astrologers aware of the birth of the King of Kings. Imagine. Tradition says that these could actually have come from Babylon, which is modern day. I mean, Babylon still exists, the place. is modern day, is ancient, is modern day Iraq, ancient Babel. They could have possibly come from the very place that we just talked about moments ago. Wow, look at, look at who God chooses to be the first to see the one whom the whole Bible story points to. Look at who he chooses. And, and in conjunction with these guys, you've got, who else is there? A handful of shepherds, like a handful of working class individuals. Is that Mary? Oh no, big sister's Mary. That's amazing. Mary, so beautiful. I love that. I love, I love Hezzy when he's done the policeman. Where, where was you on the day of question? It sounded like the Haribo advert to me. Anyway. Man. Imagine, look who God chooses. Uh, these, these, these guys who are heathens, shepherds, working class individuals, and it's only a handful of them and some mangy sheep. Imagine the, the religious establishment were completely ignorant They were in the temple offering up sacrifices because it was actually the day that it was Passover. Not knowing that every, that all of these, the lambs that they were slaying, they were looking at the lamb saying, oh, this lamb, yeah, it's spotless. It doesn't have any marks or blemishes. While Jesus was, while the spotless lamb of God was, he weren't at the temple. He is the temple. And the only totally, uninformed. And the only other people are two old age pensioners. Remember Simeon and Anna in the temple? They were in the temple, but they understood who Jesus was, and they saw the consolation of Israel. Imagine, and, and the same is true for every Christmas to some extent. There are those who understand who Jesus is and why he came, and there are those that don't. The hustle and bustle, Christmas, cooking, food, presents, and all of that is wonderful. But imagine understanding all of that and enjoying all of that, but not understanding the reason for the season. You know what I'm saying? And to wrap up, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. 
the angel says that Jesus is to be called, as well as Jesus, is to be called who? It begins with I. Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. God now meeting with his people in Christ, in Jesus. See, Christmas is about God coming to meet with his people in his new temple. Jesus is the chief cornerstone and every other person that trusts in Jesus are living stones built up together to make up that spiritual house, that temple. And I'm saying you're actually sitting in God's temple right now. And what we desire as a church is that more stones will be added to the building because the building is still under construction. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And he's still building it today. Thank God he is. Because if he weren't, I wouldn't have got in 27 years ago if he'd stopped the building program. And you can join in and be a part of that program. And, and, and this is the future. Trust me, this is the last verse now. This is the future because Revelation... 21 says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. We went from Genesis to Revelation. Oh my gosh, in 45 minutes or a little over that. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Now notice, listen to the language. And, and the book of Revelation is full of symbolic metaphor. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Not the old one over there in Palestine, right? Coming down out of heaven from God. How many of you know there are loads of other Christians, loads of other the, the God, there are God's people that are not here on the planet because they died over the centuries. Where are they? They're in heaven. And he says, look, he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. If you know anything about, about the Bible, you know that the bride is a metaphor for the church. And verse 22, a little later, it says, and I saw no temple in the city. This is Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. Why? For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, ow, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Can you see that this is paradise lost? This is what was in Genesis in the garden. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be... What? Death shall be... No more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. <sighs> Matthew's gospel begins with the nations coming to Jesus, these wise men coming from the east. Can you see that? The nations coming to baby Jesus. That's how Matthew begins. Matthew will end with the disciples going to the nations. How, many, like, how, how on earth did you and me get saved? We're, we're the nations. You know what I'm saying? And it's that message that was taken to us via disciples over the centuries. And I've definitely run out of time. See, at the end of his earthly life, Jesus commands his disciples to go into all the world and to share this message about this baby who's actually going to become the savior of the world. That's the message of Christmas. I'm going to ask the, the praise team to come if they can find some space. I don't, how are we going to do this, guys? I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> but as they come, let's make some space up here. As they come, Hopefully that helps to give you another angle on this one true story. How many of you know the Bible's a big book, right? Loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of stories that fundamentally, ultimately point to Jesus. There's a good book. It's called Jesus on Every Page. You can actually find Jesus 
on every page of the Bible if you know what you're looking for. You're going to stay down there? Okay. Amen. Let me pray as you guys come. Father, thank you for your word. Somebody said, oh, why is there four stories about, four complete stories about Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell pretty much the same story, but they don't, but they do. Lord, your, Bible, your word is like Sky Sports. It's got multiple camera angles on the one event. How amazing is that? You predate modern technology. Wow. And we thank you, Lord, not just for the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but for the epistles that, that explain the Gospels. And thank you, Father, for books like Revelation that, that help us to see the climax of the ages right there in a, in a, in, in, sometimes in a dusty old book on a shelf that's never given any time or attention. And Father, we thank you for the whole of the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, so many pictures. I painted so many of the negative ones today, Lord, but so many wonderful pictures of Jesus. Genesis 3.15, like Pastor E done last week. The serpent crusher. Jesus, from right in Genesis 3, three chapters in. And here's Jesus, a, a wonderful picture of him. And Genesis 22, with Abraham taking his son up the hill and going to sacrifice him and not having to because God will provide himself a sacrifice. So many stories in the Old Testament. David wants to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord says, oh, David, that's great. It's wonderful, son. But how about me building a house for you? And it's not a physical house. It's a dynasty who's going to have Jesus, the anointed one, as the head of that dynasty, ruling and reigning over those that would choose for him to be their king. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that this Christmas would have, Lord, just would have special meaning. Just like the, the turkey, we want it to have seasoning. Lord, I pray that this Christmas, when we think about what Christmas is about, Lord, that it'd have little flavor that maybe it never had last year. Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.